0: Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health, as a company, does not endorse all statements provided by guests, or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show.
1: All right, we are back for part two of our biohacker roundtable. I am really excited to be taking the reins today and pick your brains, Dr. J, Molly, and my fellow BB, Renee. So last time we chatted a lot about what we ate for breakfast. It's insane that it took almost an entire episode to talk about our morning meals, but really awesome. So we're going to keep it super simple today. But if you didn't hear that episode, we talked about fasting, some glucose, some circadian timing, meal timing, really interesting. I want to dive into sleep the other side of the circadian rhythm perspective conversation we'll talk a little bit about sleep architecture what we're each doing to organize our not only our sleep but our entire day and how to optimize uh we know this is highly personalized and what's going to work for one person won't work for the other but since we have four of us maybe we can kind of cover the spectrum and cover some ground with each um each of our different choices and i think just some intention behind it will really kind of share the why and the reasoning behind these choices so that we can educate our respective audiences on what goes beyond the, those daily choices. So let's start with just basic, basic sleep architecture. Molly's is your sleep guru. Do you want to kick us off like some basic sleep habits? How do you think about putting together your sleep? And I would say, let's start with like a an everyday, like a weekday, workday, you're at home in your normal environment. And then we can branch out to like Travel, social engagements, all the extras that kind of throw us off. And then
0: the yeah. rest of us can go and Molly can tell us what we're doing wrong with our Exactly. <laughs> is
2: this a free consultation? Bizarre of intent- all things sleep. <laughs> well, before we started recording, I can share that I woke up today to a 61 readiness score. So, just in case anyone is wondering, there are variations for all of us as it relates to certainly our health and our sleep. So, I'm happy to share all the things and I'm so excited to continue to learn from you guys. So, uh, she's yeah. human. oh my god i was like am am i gonna be okay for this podcast like like, so of course all the biohacks i'm throwing back all kinds of things ketone esters all you know so here we are um But I share all that because uh, I really truly believe that sleep is a skill set and that there's so many things that we can continue to learn to improve our sleep. And for all of us, that we can continue to learn, optimize, and improve because it really is a reflection of also our generalized health and well-being, the results with our sleep. So around your question with sleep architecture, I guess I can one begin with what we think of for actual sleep architecture for sleep staging, r- presumably, right? And I guess the first thing I'd love to call out, I'm sure people are, have a general familiarity I'd imagine with some of the different sleep staging that we might go through throughout the course of the night, just some quick primer. We tend to, you know, as we're going in from that kind of more light sleep and transitioning to uh, different stages of sleep. On the first half, we tend to have a higher ratio of deep sleep on the first part of our night, oscillating it through those sleep cycles with little bits of REM, but then the ratio shifting over into the early morning hours into more REM heavy sleep. And part of our game is to look at what is the quality of that sleep? How can we make a difference with ensuring that we're getting that kind of optimal sleep architecture? But with that, one thing I want to say, because I'd imagine many of our listeners might be a little bit more... Um, Uh, data leaning, presumably. And so if they are listening and they're saying, yeah, I know, I want to know more because I'm not getting enough deep sleep on my Aura, Whoop, BioStrap, Apple, all the things, or I want to improve my REM or what have you. The thing I want to always put out there is that the least accurate information on our hand and wrist-based trackers are those sleep stage classifications. So if anyone is stressed out for any way, shape, or form about what's coming up on those numbers, one thing that I would say is that there's still, and it's not to say there's not value. I'm obsessed with the wearable data and what have you, but what we're instead training for, if that's um, a, a thing that we're looking at, is deviations from baseline. And of course, you know, Dr. J. Wiles is fantastic for that from a uh, HRV perspective. And the same thing is, kind of applies for our current thinking of wearable data interpretation and what that looks like. Is say you normally have I don't know 30 minutes of deep sleep each night, suddenly something happens and you're logging an hour and a half and there's been this new change, we want to get into that specific uh, shift from that baseline versus getting hung up on the specific numbers, because I see a lot of people doing that and bringing about a bit of a nocebo effect uh, where, you know, they're waking up in the morning and they say, oh, shoot, I had these bad spores and how am I going to get through the day and all that stuff. So that would be something hey, Molly, like general- can Molly,
0: can I stop you and ask- Yes, you, please. ask you something real quick? Because yes, I'm very please. genuinely curious. So is your point, like if we're looking at sleep architecture and we're looking yes. at, let's say the amount of time or percentage of time, say on the aura or whoop for each different sleep stage- do you think that it's more like those those numbers may not be super accurate, but maybe they're consistent? Or do you think even consistency is a little bit up for grab?
2: Well, the, um, so good question, good distinction, because then there are questions of what happens when they update their algorithms. Do things kind of uh, shift there? How we like to at least think of it generalized is that within each specific wearable that you can kind of chart and measure your specific baseline that is emerging, say, for for instance, for your REM baseline and your deep sleep baseline, for instance, and then noticing if there is that deviation, but not cross comparing against different wearables, because I'm sure many of you have all seen that we have very different readouts on Whoop versus BioStrap versus Aura, and you kind of lose your mind if you try to do too much of that but that there could be information just from noticing major changes that are occurring and working backwards from there, but also noticing that there are really some value coming from some of the other metrics that are on these wearables. And certainly I know we'll get into HRV, but that one alone being really, really helpful and arguably as a metric of recovery, really helping to provide more information about how recovered were we throughout the course of the night, which is really one of sleep's primary roles.
0: See, I think that's a really valuable point because a question that's always posed to me is they're like, I see so much like inconsistency between wearables. So yeah. a lot of the biohacking community, I mean, all, <laughs> all four of us, I mean, yeah. I've got five different things. No, four, four, Aura, Garmin. Yeah of Hanu and Whoop. And the one that I'm generally looking at is I'm kind of almost always comparing sleep stages between Aura and between Whoop. And the one thing that I get, almost, and this is very consistent, is that my uh, deep sleep on Aura is typically my rim on Whoop. And my rim on Whoop is like my deep sleep on Aura. It's like this weird little flip flop in between. Yeah. And I'm like, if you look at the total time I was asleep and you look at the awakenings and, and all the other metrics, they're actually pretty one-to-one. They're very comparable. Yeah. But then when you look at the, the sleep architecture in and of itself, if you were just to take that and that alone, you would say, oh, man, these are highly inconsistent. Is one wrong? Is one right? Are they both wrong? It's just a really interesting thing if people are, are looking and trying to compare data sets from, from different wearables. It's just completely different algorithms.
2: You make a great point, actually, because one thing that people can have a bit more rest assuredness with of the validity of the information is that they have a higher degree of accuracy for are you asleep or are you awake? Now, there's still some people that do have some spotty things. If you have um, arrhythmias and other things might get in the way of that a bit. Um, also, different drugs that we might be taking can kind of, um, kind of denature that a bit. But largely, that piece has, seems to score nicely as compared to PSG's kind of our goal standard for sleep kind of grading, if you will. And so with that, at least knowing, were you asleep, were you awake? And I think that one actually often can be helpful for people that might have a sense, uh, almost going into the grouping of known as paradoxical insomnia, where we think that we're not sleeping, and yet we're still squeezing out some sleep. Now, not to say that that's putting a cap on, oh, just be satisfied with that. We want to get to the source of why you're not feeling the sense of, you know, trans uh, shift in in your consciousness, because it's really what's happening when you're going to sleep. But that can help ease some anxiety sometimes for people I've seen to know, okay, I am getting some sleep. Maybe I have some work to do, but that can be a helpful one too. Also um, as consumer grade trackers, certainly none of them are able to uh, diagnose things like sleep apnea or what have you, but there might be signs that it would be worth checking for sleep apnea. So now that Many of them have the blood oxygen readouts. If we're seeing those dip, if we're seeing frequent wake ups, if we're seeing a lot of changes in the kind of restfulness scores or movement, there's a lot of things that we can give enough indication that's worth testing.
1: Mm. And so with these inconsistencies between the trackers, because now people's heads are probably spinning, even if they already had two trackers. Yeah. What are some other like symptoms that we can maybe attach to or bring awareness to? And maybe other side of the spectrum from the paradoxical in- insomnia where you're feeling like you're not sleeping, other side where people are like, I sleep great. And maybe they have yeah. trackers, maybe they don't, but like, are there any, any indications that we are getting good or poor deep sleep, good or poor REM sleep, or like disruptions in that sleep architecture? between stages. I guess this is, Molly, you're going to get all the, all the questions today. Can I jump in real quick? (laughs) But Renee, jump in. Just
3: just one thing. I think for anyone listening, like you said, if your head is spinning, if you're not like a crazy nerdy biohacker, like the four of us we're like, I want to see the four different trackers and learn about the metrics and everything. If you're not into that, please just pick one device and stick with that and be consistent with that. Like that is plenty of information. It's just that we like to compare. I also want to be able to speak to maybe Aura's best for you or maybe BioStrap's best for you. Like I want to know the ins and outs. But for most people, pick one thing and stick with it.
2: Yeah. I've actually seen some deleterious effects of people being really overly fixated. I've had clients come in that have spreadsheets where they're logging and cross comparing all of them. And they're, you know, it's really giving them some anxiety and over fixation when there is meant to be some uh, variability in sleep night to night, there's changes. And so if we really get ourselves, you know, overly concerned, that can cause its own problems. So I think that's a great and really important point. And then some other things that we might wanna be aware of, say if you pick your one tracker and a couple of things to take a look at. One, like I said, not overly fixating on the sleep stage classifications. We know those are kind of the least accurate. But noticing trends and huge um, shifts, but also some of those kind of readiness indicators, looking at the heart rate, body temperature, respiratory rate, uh, HRV, and those, and, and other things along with sleep, you know, blood oxygen readouts, also things where people say, oh, I'm fine. Sleep optimization is not for me. I fall asleep immediately. That's actually one of my biggest things that I hear so, so often. And that's the biggest red flag for me that something might be up with your sleep. If you do fall asleep in 45 seconds or what have you, um, cause that can be a clear sign for sleep deprivation. And potentially I think I am a, stand that I really believe that eventually every single one of us will be tested for sleep apnea um, because, you know, there's so many instances where maybe it's, it might not even be into the moderate or severe side of things, but there might be mild signs of this, or even upper airway resistance syndrome, some version of, you know, mouth breathing or difficulty where we're not breathing in a way that's allowing us to get to that fully rested state and getting to those deeper um, stages. So I think down the road, that will be something that we'll all kind of screen for the same way we test our blood pressure and other things.
1: Yeah, that'd be amazing. Dr. Yeah. J, I'm curious, what have you learned from either devices or just non-device tracking about your different sleep stages and what can you offer as far as advice?
0: Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because uh, to Molly's point, if you look at the review of literature, especially when they're trying to characterize, can we accurately identify sleep staging in terms of time, percentage of time? Um, You know, it's there's just a lot of inconsistencies there. So very similar to Molly. I don't place as much weight on that. I will look at that uh, when I wake up in the morning, but I tend not to pay as much, much attention to it as I do uh, just overall quality of sleep. And the one thing for me, too, is that I am always someone that first goes subjective, then go objective, not objective, then subjective, because objective, then subjective. That's a lot. I sound like Dr. Seuss. Um, (laughs) 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 Objective, then subjective. Gotta write a children's
1: book. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. It's coming out so all on HRV. The kids will love it. Uh, so I'll, I'll try it with my kids first. Uh, but the, the one thing that I want to always make sure that I'm doing is not like looking at the data first and then allowing that to become a self fulfilling prophecy throughout the day. So I wake up and, like, the first thing I do is like, I'll, go, I'll get up generally um, and after I've checked HRV. I actually really do that first. I will go and, and, and by check HRV, I actually mean with HANU, not like look at my aura score and my yeah. aura HRV. I will actually go into the shower and I'll take a cold shower every single morning. And it is my moment to check in. And like, I check in every single day. It is a non-negotiable. And what I mean by check in is I just say, do I feel rested? Like is as simple as that? Do I feel rested? And very, I would say maybe 85% of the time, Whatever my subjective feel is, will fairly match up with whatever my objective data is, and that's great. I mean, that's good for a lot of the sleep tracking, you know, biometric, you know, whatever hardware, or software platforms out there. It means that they're pr- doing a pretty good job. But for me, it's like always check in subjectively, and then I and this is this is gonna make 100% sense when I say it, but my go-to is really looking at heart rate variability first. And the only reason that I do that is because it's my lens. It's what I view kind of everything from a biometric perspective from, but I also work out in the morning. So for me, it is a great mechanism for me to check in and say, okay, during my sleep period, did my nervous system recover in the expected direction that that I was looking for? And if not, is it enough for me to modify my workout accordingly? 90% of the time, it has not been affected enough for me to say I'm going to modify my workout accordingly. Sleep did what sleep was supposed to do. It helped me to recover, which is why sleep is the foundation. Hopefully Molly's going to be cheering yes, in the background saying out of all, all, out of all the pillars of health. And and I and I stand with that. I tell people all the time like who come yeah. to me, who come to Hanu, it's like listen, you can do all of these great things for your nutrition, your exercise protocol, for stress, but if sleep is impaired, and for so many people, it is especially the hard chargers, the health optimizers, yeah. <laughs> will because they're like you know I'll sleep when I die I mean it's like no you won't you'll die because you didn't sleep and if they and and for for me it's really like let's get that squared away let's make sure that we're optimizing or at least just getting things rudimentary base level down in the sleep category. And then we'll take it from there. So yeah, I I, I tend to learn a lot um, about my sleep from subjectively checking in and then comparing and matching that with the objective data. And again, I just use heart rate, resting heart rate, and then heart rate variability as my foundation to then determine what do I need to do differently? And if I had a poor night's worth of sleep, well, now I'm going to really focus on how can I throughout the day prepare for sleep the next night?
1: Mm, Cool. So do you have a time routine in the morning? Like, are you doing a check-in then 30 minutes later, checking your devices? Do you have any sort of structure in that way?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. So for me, like my, I'll take my shower, do kind of like my morning, um, you know, brushing of the teeth, That's that sort of thing. I'll go downstairs and I almost, like, I'm, it'll generally be about an hour before I check any data, any data whatsoever. So like when I put on Hanu in the morning, for instance, like I'll turn the app on and then I just kind of like, put it in the background. I don't need to look at it. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to persuade me to do anything different just yet, because I know I'm going to go spend an hour downstairs getting mentally prepared, doing some breath work, doing some reading, like just kind of engaging in some journaling. All of those things are extremely important for me to do prior to any other type of input, like looking at data, looking at emails, looking at whatever news platform or whatever it may be. I have to have that period of time. So it's generally about an hour, but then I do take, I would say maybe 10 to 15 minutes to digest all of the data, which may sound like a lot and if you spend 10 to 15 minutes looking at data that that is a lot most people are not going to spend that per day but i'm really digging into the nuances and for me and again not to shameless plug but this is going to be on my podcast too it's going to be everybody's (laughs) podcast i'm spending most of my time on hanu because i'm looking at some of the nuances of the breathwork practice that i did and i'm looking at some of the really more important data biometrics uh, related to hrv but it's very delayed for me
1: yeah that's great really helpful Proper programming rather than having the numbers dictate your day. You got it. You got it. What about you, Renee? Yeah.
3: Well, I will throw in a little bit of experience with my sleep data and maybe throw a question out to the three of you. Something that I have seen. So yes, REM sleep we know is not accurate. We want to look at the trends. And that is one trend that I really see shift like quickly. Number one thing, alcohol, my REM sleep will be like 10 minutes. It's just like that. I also don't get much REM sleep until I hit hour seven of sleep. So if I sleep seven hours, I get very supposedly minimal REM sleep. If I can sleep eight or nine hours, I'll get maybe an hour or two of REM sleep. So I'm going to throw this back at you all. What do you think? Is there a way to shift REM earlier? Do we think that the trends just don't even matter when it's based off of time in bed or time spent asleep? What are our thoughts there?
1: Should I take this one? That's um, a
0: great it, Molly question. Okay,
1: yeah. okay. Can I pack another question in there just <laughs> yeah. for context? So we were uh, speaking to Dr. Andrew Hill yesterday and he mentioned... Oh, I have like, him tomorrow, I
2: think. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, so the deep sleep awesome. really
1: like consolidates your memory of your dream. So like curious with the the differences across the devices not being so accurate for RAM. like if you are getting enough deep sleep, are we ensure that you are getting REM and maybe we can't really count on what your devices are telling you? So is there anything in like just paying attention to the deep sleep to give us more context there?
2: Yeah. Okay. So as far as kind of breaking down and looking to optimize individual stages, one, I think it's getting connected to what are some things that might potentially negatively impact our ability to get some of these deeper stages. And there's so many things that that would involve so that both on the first half of the night, which, you know, we can generally say that for most people is more deep sleep rich, and then generally say that on the second half of the night, more REM rich, uh, but finding what are some of the things that would, uh, influence that. So this is a kind of a longer conversation, but a a couple of things that I can throw out if we're talking about REM Renee, I know you're mentioning that on, on the, First part of that REM, we know that if we're having that in the early morning hours, there tends to be some changes in our body temperature. From that point on, you know, so getting to some of these uh, lowest points of our body temperature, and then beginning to slowly go up as we prepare to kind of prepare to take on the day, essentially, and to move into wakefulness. So for some of us, and I have to deal with this with uh, a lot of, say, like chili pads, sleep um, eight number uh, eight mattress, or what have you. Sometimes if we are moving too cold into the early morning, and I love the colds, but believe me, but the, if we're having too cold into those very early morning hours, that might influence some REM. So there's some interesting new studies coming out around temperature and what that might do to uh, impact, say, like the amount of REM or many people, I often hear uh, that they want to improve their deep sleep and they just you know, say that, um, assuming that they're not getting enough deep sleep when there might be a little bit of both. So the temperature piece and optimizing for that is a big one. Also, Renee, I think you are testing for sleep apnea. Is that correct too? Or d- any? So I think that's yes. like a, an ongoing, exciting thing. Yeah. So I'll that throw... can be a, an element.
3: Yeah. So, well, two things. So I have been testing the, the new Chilla Sleep Doc Pro. Yes, and I did notice that they recommend that your REM hour you bump it five degrees warmer. So I've been yes. playing with that, which is really interesting. Great. Um, and then when it wakes you up, the bed is like so hot, it's like oh, on ah! fire. I'm like, well, of course, Dude, I'm I awake start now.
0: sweating. Yes, I, 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 I wake up and kicks sweat. you out
1: of bed. Yeah.
0: yeah, like, and I have the same one that that you all do the the yeah. Doc Pro. The doc pro and yeah, It gets up to like what one hundred and thirteen degrees, and yeah, I'm like, you know. oh my goodness, like I wake up, I'm a like a sauna, I'm sweating. Wow, <laughs> I, I mean, it gets your it
3: gets your butt out of bed for sure. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to lay in that. So I've been playing with that, and then I did also so Empower Sleep, which Molly you yes. introduced me to them, which is super exciting. It's a you can probably speak to it better, but it's a yeah. ring to check for sleep apnea. So you do three nights you can do consecutive or randomly. And it's looking at obviously much more than the aura Ring, but they can detect yeah. not a lot of upper airway resistance. They said they can like maybe hint that you would need an uh, like a more official sleep study, like in the yeah. center, but definitely sleep apnea, they can rule that out or say, yeah, yeah you need further testing.
2: Yes, because they're using, um, so they're a company and that is utilizing the sleep image ring and that's FDA cleared to test and uh, be diagnostic for sleep apnea. So more and more as we have the ease of use to be able to test for both sleep apnea, but also sleep quality, because they are pulling a bit of HRV information. So, you know, Dr. J, it might be an interesting one for um, you to connect with their company. It's a very cool, the, or the sleep image ring at least, and potentially empower sleep. But ways that we can many times over test for how we are performing for our sleep, not just one night. Like, and this is kind of their argument um, in Power Sleep is that the same way we do test for blood pressure, we don't just do one test in your whole life and then just go off of that. You take many, many tests cuz many things can impact that same thing for sleep apnea. If you eat late, if you drink alcohol, if you put on some weight, if you know changes happen in your musculature or even tongue muscles and other things, then you know instances of apnea uh, or apnea like events can go up. So we want to have there's it's in behooves us to be able to test frequently to see if there are changes. Also hormonal shifts, things like using TRT seems to up the chances of more instances of sleep apnea, even if you didn't have that present before, or if it was mild and can up the amount. So there's it's layered. And that's where I really believe that that is one that we need to be testing more frequently for, because that's just a, such a common one, surprisingly, that I see so much of, especially in the changes of our shape and many other issues. So it gets very detailed and layered there. Uh, but then of course there's a ton of other things that could be impacting our sleep quality and then uh, not allowing us to get to those deeper levels of sleep and then could be impacting, you know, the ability to get uh sufficient REM and deep sleep. So then that can go to some of the things that um you guys are all very aware in. So blood sugar regulation and so having um stability there, you know, the quality of your environment, your sleep environment, light exposure throughout the course of the night. I mean, and I don't mean to say these things that we might know, but I think sometimes we say, oh yeah, there's a little bit of light in my room, but who cares? Not a big deal. But those things can come up again and again. Are there sound issues? Are you sleeping next to someone who's snoring all of these things can impact uh, the, the depth of that sleep that we're able to get into. Yeah. I'm excited for you to talk to Dr. Hill because he's he just saying that he doesn't think light is
1: as big of a problem as people are making it out to be. So I think you guys Dude, are going to have a really healthy debate.
2: That can oh, my That out at the end. <laughs> well, and I'm really excited Find to... Em. Speak with him, <laughs> you know, and I, I so you know, just value some of the work that he's doing in this realm of uh, ways that we can improve, even things like TBI. And I was hearing from some of the Peak Brain Institute reps that they're seeing things that look akin to TBI with um, people that have long COVID. So, you know, yeah. some really interesting, and I've been seeing a ton of that for people long COVID and changes in their sleep patterns, uh, for women of menstruating age, changes in their hormonals um, in their cycle. Uh, so just the, what they're doing to then uh, address the brain itself. And then how could that be impacting things like sleep and other recovery elements is super Mm. exciting, but yes, I'll have to talk to them about the light piece for sure. Yeah. So many variables. I just wanted to come back to the testing piece that
1: you mentioned. I did a home sleep study with my dad and, you know, if I had just looked at one night, I could have, you know, self-diagnosed. So this is exactly what's wrong with me. I did four nights in a row with four very different sets of results, which is really Mm. interesting. I found wow. that even four nights wasn't enough to come out with any kind of hypothesis or really like path forward with actionable. So I probably need to do seven plus nights because there are so many variables. So um, I just thought that that was really interesting. I think we have a long way to go with testing. So I'm going to offer like a giant back that is not a biohacker thing at all. But when it comes to sleep architecture, especially when I am traveling and I'm only mentioning this, oh, my dog is very thirsty. Uh, I'm only mentioning this because my fiance Jeremy didn't know about it and it seems so simple but because he didn't know I'm going to tell you on the apple phone if you have an apple device they have the sleep wake setting is everyone familiar with this so he had never heard of it and he's you know when we travel he's just like I'm going to set my alarm at whatever time I have to wake up I'm like no I'm going to set my alarm for a certain amount of time in bed and for me it's the time in bed when I'm traveling because I like to buffer it a little bit because there's variables unknown, like temperature, like 65 is not the same in a hotel room as it is in an Airbnb, friend's house. So I have to allow a little extra buffer because potential wake-ups because it's an unknown environment. But generally, if I allow for eight hours and 15 minutes on this sleep-wake alarm, then I'll be able to get through all of my sleep stages with a little extra buffer for the unknowns, potential wake-ups. I thought it was interesting because I was talking to Jeremy about it. He's like, no, just set my alarm for the same time every day. I'm like, you're potentially waking yourself up in the middle of a sleep cycle. And I want to give my best, my body the best chance possible to get through those sleep stages. Cause like me, uh, just like Renee, I notice my REM sleep really happens very late in the morning. So if I wake up at six or earlier, it's like, I don't get it um if i allow myself to sleep in so that's been sort of like my grace and my biohacking i'm like okay this is just what works a little bit better for me with my chronotype i know that i have to get those hours to get rem though you know i don't know with these metrics if it's accurate or not but i do remember my dreams better if i allow that extra time into like the full architecture of the night
3: mm, what is the yeah. sleep wake thing on the apple device so you can
1: set an alarm at certain times or at the very top of the page you can dial it in. It's going to hold your like total sleep and it'll dial. So like if you want to bump your wake up time earlier, it will uh, set your bedtime earlier. I'm doing this visual that I know not everyone can see me, but But it it kind of looks like a clock. Is it sensing something? No, no, no. It's just ensuring that you're getting total number of hours a sleeper. We'll just say in bed. Oh, you can ensure, like, I'm going to get eight hours rather than saying, oh, I have to wake up at 6.15 to get to the airport. I'm going to set my alarm. I don't know how many hours I'm getting because I'm off and traveling, whatever. You can say, I absolutely want eight hours in bed. So this is the time I have to go to bed. This is the time I have to wake up.
3: I thought you meant... honoring the sleep stages. Yeah, I thought you meant it was, like, one of those devices, you know, that will sense what part of your sleep cycle you're in mm-hmm. to make sure uh, it doesn't wake you up during REM. That's what I was like. Get so, the iPhone? No so, AI, not a biohacker no. thing at all. <laughs>
0: okay, No, but so I think that, but, I mean, like everybody's, basically everybody's got an iPhone. So I think that's a really like just easy strategy that people can take advantage of. Like, so with Whoop, which is really interesting, they have like what's called sleep coach, and so yeah. basically you can set it for the exact time. You can set it for the sleep goal. So once you've hit your goal, then it will wake you up. And then, or when you're in the green, which is like their kind of, you know, top notch recovery, See the green, yellow, or, or, or red. And so for me, I normally do exact time when I'm at home, it's 5am. Uh, but uh, the thing I love about it is that I have both my chili pad getting up to like 113 degrees, which is going to wake me up. But also like, I don't have any sound that wakes me up. It's just the vibration on the device. And that just feels so much more gentle than an alarm going off in my ear to kind of yeah. rattle me. I'm curious, Molly, do you have any thoughts on that? Like especially like yeah. the haptics that wake you up uh like yeah. on Whoop or even like the sleep coach, quote unquote, that they have yeah. built into their app.
2: Sure, I do. So one, some of the generalized rule of thumb for the wake-up time is that we're looking to create a life where we largely do wake up at around the same time with a margin that moves out kind of plus or minus, say like 30 minutes, maybe max if something was really crazy the night before into like a 40-something minute range, but largely swinging with that 30 minutes earlier or 30 minutes later. But the reason for that is that we're aiming to anchor ourselves from that generalized wake-up time. And that is irregardless of what happened the night before is really the recommendation, even if that sounds very harsh (laughs) almost or like not loving to our body or what have you. But the thinking for that is then there's actually, while on the short term, we might feel a little more tired, maybe we need a little nap or something to get us through the rest of that day. That by doing that, that keeps us more aligned with our circadian rhythm and we're strengthening that circadian rhythm. So then you are getting tired at around the same time, versus if we allow it to really swing far out because we went to bed late, so we're going to bed. Uh, waking up a lot later, then not only is there that kind of social jet lag, you know, we didn't get on a plane, but we're having a symptomology of jet lag, but also metabolic jet lag. Cause then you're likely to not be hungry for a little bit later. And all these things kind of get thrown out. And then what else gets delayed is delayed sleep onset. So then the time that we get sleepy in the evening gets moved out. So now we're just dealing with jet lag, but not really adjusting for it. So really part of I think I'm uh, I'm kind of developing this thing almost akin to, you know, 75 hard where you have like these set things that you do every day for 75 days. I'm putting something like that together for sleep. And so I'm still workshopping this. This is like uh, happening as we speak. But um, one of those things being that set wake up time being one of like the, the cardinal things that you would do every single one of those things that you'd have to do for 75 days. But with that, you have that range, that kind of grace period. So to Lauren's point, sometimes when say you things have changed for the night before, you're going to bed a little bit later. Then ideally if you're setting your alarm for the furthest side of that latest wake up time. So then, cause you still might wake up around your same time. The stronger your circadian rhythm is, the more likely you do actually just continue to wake up at that same time, regardless. And that's actually what we're training for. And I know people can get so frustrated. They're like, I can't sleep in. It's so annoying and what have you, but actually that's a really good sign. And I really like that to hear that because that's a sign that you've got strong circadian rhythm. So it's really what we're training for without too much variance. I love that. I would love to swing to like our worst selves. And when we do get off any of us, when
1: we're traveling or just wake up not feeling well or something changes, what are like maybe top two things that each of you do to get back on track? And I'll start with Dr. J or Renee, if you want to jump in, we'll swing back to our sleep expert.
0: And do you want to go first? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple things. So I was trained back in, I guess that was my residency in a form of sleep therapy um, that I'm sure Molly, you are very well aware of. I'm um, called CBTI or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And I received this training and working in a sleep clinic uh, with a lot of veterans experiencing sleep related uh, problems and difficulties. A lot of it was comorbid with chronic pain um, because chronic pain causes them to have significant impairments in sleep and one of the notions behind cognitive behavioral therapy which kind of ties directly into our last conversation is that we want to do what we can to increase sleep drive so like that inner motivation to say like i can't wait till i get back to bed not so that it will inhibit or prohibit anything that you do during the day but so that like when the time comes and again i've delayed the gratification that is you know napping or sleeping throughout the day which is kind of a core part of CBTI. When I get to the bed, like I'm really excited for it to happen. So I think for me, um, all that to say is like, it's a mindset thing. Like if I get up and I'm like, oh goodness, I have had a pretty rough night's worth of sleep. I'm not, that's not going to impact my day. Like I'm go like, that's that's just my mentality. It's like grit, perseverance, go. And that may be a good thing. Some days, (laughs) a bad thing, other days, but I always keep in the back of my mind. It's like, again, a mindset thing that when the time comes and 9 p.m. Is, arrives this evening, like I'm going to really, really enjoy just like getting and snuggling up in bed and just closing the eyes and allowing myself to drift off because I know that my sleep drive is going to be at, like 100% at that point in time. And so for me, like if I've had a bad night's sleep, of sleep. And I, again, remain consistent in sleep time uh, to bed, time awake, like that sleep drive keeps me motivated. And I feel like almost always get a great night's sleep the night after, not every single time, but almost every single time. So that's one thing. The other thing would just be overall down regulation of the nervous system throughout the day. So for me, If I have a poor night's worth of sleep, I tend not to be as lethargic as I do like amped up, um, like overly amped up. Like my nervous system is in hyperdrive because my body is stressed. My mind is stressed because I didn't sleep super well last night. So for me, it is taming that lion through different breath regulation techniques, down regulation of the nervous system techniques like biofeedback or maybe some SDR or maybe some meditation. I just sprinkle that more throughout my day. They're already kind of an innate like habit of mine. They, I just do them throughout the day, kind of at set times, but I'd like to include more of it throughout the day. And that for me, again, just a great way to calm the nervous system down, um, kind of just stay in the moment instead of being so like just driven. And then because if I do that and I stay kind of ramped up, then the fatigue will really set in generally later in the afternoon, like three, four o'clock. Then it goes from like hyperdrive because my nervous system's amped up to like crash at like three or four. And again, like I don't want to start taking a nap at three or four in the afternoon. And I used to do that. Like I would just say, screw it. Like I'm I'm taking my nap at three or four p.m. I take it for whatever, 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And the next thing I know, it's, uh, you know, I go to bed at nine and I see the clock and it's 10, 11, 1. one, uh-oh, bad nights worth of sleep again because I screwed things up. So that all to say, yeah, I think that those two things have been the most helpful.
1: I love that. So awesome. Yes. Excitement for sleep. Excitement for sleep. I love that. Yeah. I'm always excited for sleep. Um, you no, know, i saw your face right now you're like who isn't always <laughs> I know. Know.
2: well i can um i can step in as a person that would have uh, so if anyone listening has dealt with sleep anxiety sleep anxiety can be a whole thing where you actually like and this is something that i dealt with in the Kind of origin phase of why I even created this company was just such a lack of a sense of agency of my own ability to get to sleep each night. And I would have a sense of dread for the night approaching. And just like, oh uh, here we go, another night gonna be staring, staring at the ceiling. You know, Blake's gonna be asleep next to me, sleeping like a baby. And I'm gonna be so mad. And I'm gonna be, you know, just like really and and I can laugh about it now, but at the time it felt so like up like frustrating, scary. Like, is this always gonna be like this? All of those things. So what I and when that when that wasn't working, I would bring in a lot of new things and change so many things if I didn't sleep well. So that's why I would love to parallel with one um, thing that I love that Dr. Matthew Walker speaks to. And I'm sure a lot of people have read his like why we sleep and, you know, uh, different kind of thought leader in that area. And one of the things that he speaks to is the the do nothing method after you didn't sleep well for the night before. And what he means by that is that with the do nothing method, you continue to still get up at about the same time. You, you know, with that little swing that we talked about, a little bit of that variance, but largely same time, you're not waking up instead of 7 a.m. Wake up. You're now waking up at 10 a.m. You're not doing that. You're still waking up at around the same time. Then you're not then doing some of these other things that we might do because many of us will say, oh, that night was horrible. I need extra coffee. If it's biohackers, maybe extra nicotine gum, whatever it is. We need all these things, right? Which you know, I've certainly been guilty of at different points, but uh, I will say that we largely try to minimize some of the stimulants. We largely try to not have too many extra naps, like Dr. Jay was speaking to. And then we aim to not do something a lot of us might do, which is, oh, it was so rough last night. I'm going to go to bed early. Because uh, then that can also be a recipe for upset because now we're not, our body's not ready for that. And now we have that frustration and we might actually find that we're now going to bed later than we originally planned. Or we fall asleep and now we're waking up at the wrong time because that body clock is not aligned. Or we're kind of moving like sloths and we're not getting outside and getting sunlight and all those things. So instead with this do nothing method, you do what You normally would do, which I know can sound very like, uh, are you kidding? But it can really be an investment in resetting all of those things that we're speaking to. Yeah, that's amazing.
3: I, so I'm like the opposite of Molly's problems. My sleep problems were that I would sleep too much, too much,
2: hypersomnia. Um,
3: Yeah, with like chronic fatigue syndrome in my 20s. But now I really still follow like what I learned from you, Molly, like sleep capital versus social capital. Like this is a big thing for me. I think. Trying to go to bed at the same time and wake at the same time is my biggest struggle, and yeah. I used to get like upset and stressed about it and anxious. Now yeah. I just do my best and accept that's yeah. just kind of how my lifestyle is. You know, I say the blessing and the curse of living in Las Vegas is I always have visitors. Yeah, <laughs> like every other weekend there's people in town. We're going out to dinner. My 10 p.m. bedtime is now 11, maybe midnight. It happens. Yeah. So I really kind of just I get as much sleep when I can. I know that some nights aren't going to be great. I almost think of it a little bit as like the way I approach nutrition, right? The feast and famine cycling. Yeah. I naturally do that. Like during the week, I'm maybe more in like that famine phase. The weekend's a little bit more feasting because I'm going out. So that cycling seems to work really well for me in the nutrition, the sleep, even stress, right? That hormesis, like my hanu, some days it's great, some days it's not. But like, I think that balance kind of like the Goldilocks principle seems to work well for me. I know the circadian rhythm gods are like, no, this is not what we want you to do. But, you know, that's just how it seems to roll for me.
1: I really appreciate that, Renee. And I was going to say, like, I think I started this podcast saying, let's share the why because I think the personalization, we can go through all the science and what the circadian rhythm gods was just hilarious. I've never heard that. Love it. (laughs) But But if it works for you, like, who else can argue that? And I'll say for myself, like, I do try to follow that 30 minute swing that Molly introduced, mm. but Sunday is typically my only day that I can potentially sleep in. And I do let myself sleep in up to an hour later than what I normally do during the week. And you could say, like, oh, that's going to throw off the rest, but I have, like, I treat it as a treat. And we could make the analogy to food like, you're going to have a treat day, not a cheat day. You're not cheating on your nutrition or your diet, you're choosing one intentional day that you're going to do something different knowing that you're going to get right back on. So I sleep in an hour later on Sunday and then I know like I have to get adequate light and especially movement, like lots of movement so that I do go to sleep at the same time Sunday night and not shifting that window. Like you said, Molly, which Mm. I'm just going to screw everything up. So that seems to work for me, even though I feel like, Oh, if I just like read the science and be like, that's bad, Lauren, but know thyself. Right. I don't know. You could tell me differently.
2: Yeah, no, I, Well, and I think um, that's where I think that this whole thing goes into the gamification of it. I hope the interest and hopefully fascination with getting intrigued by, you know, results, what's working, what's not working, testing different things, learning different things, and also having the freedom to adjust. So one thing that we do in our courses is we create something called a um, circadian crafted day. And so we have people really look at their calendar and see what works for them. And in their stage of life, like certainly I see different trends with my you know mid 20 year olds clients than we see with our 45 and over clients or what have you with how they're designing their day. And we're also really making the argument, it's also kind of like a life design conversation too. You're really sitting and saying, if I was to create my ideal day, what would this look like and what could I commit to and be excited about waking up at around the same time. And, and maybe that means design. So one thing I've been doing, I have kind of like summer hours, you know, the sun sets so much later. I moved to Austin. I'm doing a lot more socializing over here. I mean, my God, the community over here is nuts. Uh, So I have moved my bedtime for the summers and, you know, kind of for the social capital piece a little bit later than I, than I used to. And certainly later than I would in the winter months. So there's this possibility to design things and see if you have certain trends. Maybe we might be moving um, the bedtime out like a little bit, maybe half an hour later. So just kind of makes it so that it's consistent-ish across the board. And then you just have it in your brain like, oh yeah, I always go to bed at fill in the blank, um, you know, 10, 30, 11... What have you. Also, I mean, we're not even talking about shift workers or rotating shift workers. My God, there's so much that thoughtful, meaningful design of our day comes into place. And then all those things that you spoke about, then utilizing the tool set of sunlight, movement, you know, cold therapy, heat therapies, all of these things to help swing us in a particular way that we might want to swing.
1: Yeah. I love that idea of design. Like we are the architects of our day. We can create the movie. We can write the narrative. It's like so empowering. We have agency. Yes. Dr. J, you have to go speak to another audience. So I wanted to give you another opportunity. If there's anything else you want to share about your sleep, something you've hacked or optimized that maybe could resonate with someone in one of our audiences that you want to share with us for you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, there's been, there's so many things that, you know, I think all the biohacking community, myself included can do, you know, to help better optimize their sleep. But for me, like my, my go-to one that is again, one of my non-negotiables, but I would say that I'd probably drop everything um, in order for this one uh, to stay would just be limiting input before bed. I mean, and limiting input by cutting off social media, cutting off TV. The only input I have is a book in my hand. I'm okay with that. Uh, You know, even if it's a Kindle, I'm okay with that. If it's on the warm, you know, the warm light mode. Uh, For me, that's, that's, that's about it. And I think that is like my go-to, like if I don't do anything, I'm going to limit input and it's going to help with sleep, but I do have to run I love you all and thank you so much for this. I hope that you guys continue to rock it and I'm going to listen to the rest uh, when we publish it. So I'm excited <laughs> all right, to So you we won't this. talk
3: yeah. about you. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, well,
0: and we won't have any fun. Plugging Hanu and you won't All right. Exactly. Oh, you're the best. We love you, you, too, all. Take you. Care. So much Bye.
1: love. Bye. Amazing. And number three. Yeah, and then and there then are there three. Were three. Yes. <laughs> so maybe we can go around the triad and kind of say the same thing. Something else that has really helped us op- optimize or maybe a personal struggle that maybe would speak to someone that, like in the audience. They're like, that's me.
2: I need to do that. Yes. Well, so as far as a personal struggle piece, I'm actually dealing with that right now. I'm in the midst of a personal struggle of I just moved to Austin. We've got this you know, new place. We love it. And the bedroom is causing me some things for my sleep quality. So hacking some of this. So a couple things to share. Um, and I don't know if this is what you were meaning, but <laughs> I'll just share what I'm dealing with, you know, so there, was, you know, um, the ability for the temperature piece, there was some things for a heat wave over here and issues with getting the temperature. Right. So just, uh, I'm sharing this in case anyone has this sense of, oh, I'm the only one struggling with this. I, you know, certainly myself and many clients find that they, when they go into different sleep environments, you can learn a lot about your sleep based on where you're at. You know, we just all came back from a conference and it's likely we saw different things happen in our hotel rooms that we might normally see at home. And usually our hope is that, it's the other way that we are getting our best sleep at home. And then, you know, these one-offs where it's not as great. I had the opposite. My sleep was better while traveling when we were just, <laughs> so this is a sign that something is not working in my sleep environment. So a couple things that I'm, I'm to share that I'm doing right now. One, I am getting kind of a high-level sleep like air purifier. So when air quality is stagnant, so we're in a particular type of room that's kind of the stagnant air. So dealing with some of that, and so that could yeah. Quick
3: question for you: Have you seen the new headboard that's an air purifier?
2: Oh, Uh, actually, I haven't seen
3: that. Renee, breaking news! Tell me everything. Breaking news! I meant to send it to you yesterday. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like on the air purification. It is called Air Tulip. No affiliation. Oh. I just heard about it yesterday.
2: Well, I love you guys. Love it is a headboard that okay. is an air
3: purification system for oh your budget. My gosh.
2: Come Amazing. on. I don't know. Hurdy
3: here first, folks. Amazing. Right, yeah. So Molly, you're gonna do a, a deep dive. Let us yes. know if it's legit. And I will. Circle back. And then uh-huh. I'll put it on my okay. wedding registry. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Got you, Lauren. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool thing if you're having air issues, and, maybe. And Anyways. this is what I think is so great because we're at a point in time where... Uh, if you're dealing with something and we really get in the conversation about it, we share, we get curious instead of just saying, oh, I guess this area, this place I'm in isn't great. And, we, you know, kind of lower the bar for what's possible. Then we get in these conversations. We hear solutions. We take these new steps. Um, and then we have the opportunity to really improve some of our results. So it was an interesting one. I One change that already improved some of my sleep results is an odd one. I haven't had this one before, but um, literally the changing of the sleep sheets and bedding that I had had. Um, which I never had that make such an impact or measurably make such an impact, but for whatever reason, this new set that I got from this company—I won't say their name—but um, they had sent these sheets. So curious. I don't. Nice, but um, I think more prone towards a type of sleeper that maybe needs some of that extra heat, um, or you know, does well with that. So I did not do well with that. So once removing that, actually, there was a noticeable change in my sleep results. So that was a new one. So I'm saying all this because my hope is that. By getting curious, by really taking the time to optimize. I just moved recently, been traveling a bunch. So really, now that we're a little bit more settled, taking the time to improve this environment, you do it on the front end, you know, make the investment that you've got to make. And then you're, then you get to reap the rewards of setting up an optimal environment for yourself. So I think there's the opportunity for us to all continue to do that and and look.
1: Mm. How amazing
2: for you as an educator to keep having these
1: opportunities to learn. Believe me. Thank you for being the martyr for us. But like sleep is a skill, folks. Sleep (laughs) is certainly is a skill.
2: I know when you think that you've got it, like, okay, yeah, I've got this dialed in. We're good here. It's a formula. You have the chili pad. And then sometimes, you know, there's some of those benefits that work and there's some certain environments that there are other things to consider. So yeah, really important. Yeah. I love that you just brought up sheets.
3: Because I would guess the average person isn't like, hmm, how do I fix my sleep? Like, let me buy sheets. Um, I read a study yesterday. I'll send it to you later, Molly. Um, Yeah, please. They took two groups, two different types of sheets. I want to say one was like organic cotton and one was some different material. I'm guessing more cooling. That group had reported 40% better sleep.
2: Out of the change. Versus the
3: cotton sheets. That's a big shift. Yeah, significant. Interesting. I've never heard of them before, but
2: oh, very cool. Yeah, definitely send that my way. Was it like the subjective experience or objective or both? I I don't know if they were actually using sleep data. I want to say they were, but
3: um, let me check. Let me check. Yeah,
2: no. And that goes into that realm of just really almost like a sleep detective uh, taking the time to set the, and then you don't have to think of it. You know, we don't want to be overly fixated on these things so that it's problematic, but. You know, just taking the time to see is everything workable? Is there workability here? And then once we do get that workable, like Renee, I know you mentioned that you and Ryan have taken a lot of time to kind of set up your optimal bedding and everything's like you know the sleep oasis, and doing that now you have good vibes around your your bedroom experience from the sounds of it, and we can all kind of do that,
3: yeah, I would say the only downside to that is it makes it harder to travel, yes, so Like I have hacked my bedroom at home. So that I would say, you know, something to share with the audience is learning how to hack your sleep when traveling. Yeah. Things that have worked for me. Number one, always travel with an eye mask. You just don't know what the lighting situation is going to be. There's going to be a weird light or a weird window. Always, always have an eye mask. Now I'm traveling with the Manta cooling eye mask. So if I go to a place where it's hot and I sleep hot, so I'm really sensitive to that. The only thing is, I do need a fridge or freezer or an ice pack to keep them cold. Mm. But I do notice if it's really hot, I put those on my eyes just to fall asleep for like thirty minutes, and it cools me down a little bit. Nice, that's a good hack. Good ear ear earplugs. I use like the noise canceling earplugs because sometimes my fellow biohacker babe likes to play her sound machine really loud, (laughs) Lauren. I love sound machines and I always have a sound machine, but she just likes it louder than me. So the hack is she gets her sound machine. I put my earplugs in.
1: It works great.
2: Win win. Yeah. Yay. So I think little, and I'm like sorry. That, I don't
1: like your waves. They're creepy to me. So we battle <laughs> this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: yes. my God. I have nightmares
1: when I listen to your waves. So, <laughs> oh my God. Well,
2: earplugs, well, it, it is. <laughs> I think it's good to be able to have these dialogues, especially you know when you have like, new roommates for different things that you're going to, you know, vacations, whatever, you know, or new relationships that we had um, a sleep expert, Wendy Trexel on the podcast, who wrote an entire book sharing the covers about, you know, the importance of having these conversations, because once you get workability, then maybe there are some changes that, you know, one or both of us has to make. Sometimes, warranting what they call kind of a sleep divorce. And that's not, you know, it's kind of a charged term, but you know, maybe it needs some rebranding, but sometimes it does make sense for us to be in separate bedrooms. If we are Having totally different sleep schedules, like shift working, or sleep apnea, mm-hmm. and we got you know machines going and other things. So sometimes, or even for a temporary period of time until we get things handled, that that separation piece might make sense for sake of getting great sleep and being able to be a fully functioning human being the next day. What would that actually benefit our relationship on the other side of it? But I think not enough of us are having those conversations instead, we only just deal with the ramifications now like it's three in the morning we wake up to the snoring person and uh, or the loud whatever you know sound machine or this that and the other so having those conversations right. finding the workability is great yeah maybe that. like coffee and a sleep debrief the next morning with your yes. whoever
1: you've been sharing what room with what <laughs> didn't yeah. yeah yeah what
3: worked what didn't Laura, yeah. what would you I would share for myself
1: well I'm learning that I need to have, like, a set number of variables that can change when I'm traveling. Because yeah. you kind of mentioned this, Molly. Like, I used to always sleep so much better in a hotel because it's generally very dark. They have blackout curtains. I can crank the AC. It's generally a small space, where so I know it's going to cool. But... This past weekend at the biohacking conference, we just had an interesting situation. So Renee and I had reserved a room and then Jeremy was like, I want to come. So it was like, okay, Jeremy's going to come into the room. And now Ryan's like, I'm going to come too. So we ended up having four of us sleeping in a room, which like physically was not a lot, but energetically it was a lot to navigate. Yeah. And... I was on my cycle and I can't believe it's taken Mm. me 38 years to realize that my sleep is different when I'm on my cycle, but you know, it's perfect storm. And when other variables are out of place, that was really highlighted that that kind of tipped the scale for me. And it was interesting because I was sleeping with the chili pad because they allowed... They let us borrow it for the weekend. It was yeah. bone chilling. Yes, so too far on the cold too much. spectrum. Yeah, so that was a variable that was out of my control. And then I was cycling. That was another variable. So I'm realizing like I really need to control as many variables as possible and keep them mm. limited. So yeah. like if you're prepared, like with the sleep mask, which I always do, I also travel with those true dark dots where you can cover yeah, like the me LED. Too. Yeah, those are so helpful. And then just preparing ahead of time. So now I know like. If I had looked at my cycle calendar ahead of time, maybe I would have said, you know, this is not going to be ideal to be in a room with four people. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to spend more money because it sucks when you don't sleep. But, you know, I normally sleep better in a hotel and it's just preparing ahead of time. You said something else that made me think about being away versus home. Like usually home is better sleep. I have a client that goes to bed really late and I'm really trying to shift that for her. When she has company and she has company quite often. She goes to bed mm. earlier mm. because all of her friends go to bed earlier. So I'm like, How do we just always have company around? Yes, like, um, like what a Vegas, stu- yeah, right? Just yeah. <laughs>
3: move to Vegas, she will always have company. Oh my god, I'm gonna god. send her it's to so your house today.
1: Yeah. I know, but I thought like the takeaway is oh wow, like living in community and kind of syncing yes. up with your friends, and you're she was able to get that social time and get to bed. Yeah early. So like mm. really kind of checking in with your people and for her, like that's, that's what she needs. Like that's her kryptonite being alone. So like, how do we move towards community? Yeah. Because for her that helps. Whereas for some people it would be, you know, engaging with too many people would kind of tip the scale in the wrong day. So
2: yeah, a couple of things about that one. One thing we do is we have something called the sleep sabotagers list where we have people give a self-assessment on 17 areas of life, zero to 10 on kind of workability. And we can see what's working, what's not working. So, you know, fitness, health, um, romantic relationships, family relationships, uh, finances, you know, all these different things. And when we see certain things that maybe are showing again, this is self-assessment, which you can learn a lot about a person based on how they're, you know, thinking about their life but when you see things like you know friendships family relationships what have you scoring consistently really low and feeling like they don't have the ability to shift that, that can be really disempowering. And we know that loneliness is correlated with poor sleep results and also mental health issues and other things. So that gets into more of this. Own, and, you know, people often want, okay, well, just tell me the supplement and like the five things I got to do to improve my sleep. But often it's more layered than that. You can't divorce the experience of your life and how fulfilled you feel, how part of a group you feel. We're social creatures. And even despite the fact that many of it's become the norm to be divorced from many other individuals, but that's not how we're biologically hardwired. So yes, 100%. And I think the only tricky part is, I love that example because it's such a positive group from the sounds of it. I, I often hear the opposite where people are like hanging out with friends and then they're going so late. So that's where we have to almost enact what we call kind of sleep leadership almost and being the one to leave the Ooh, party like at a, right at a certain time that's workable for you, but have it all, you know, so you're still engaging and still having fun with people. And I think that this is like an ongoing art form, believe me. But I think if we even have that in the background of what could life look like if we both still go to the thing, you know, so we're still connecting and that's so important for our well-being. but then we still leave the thing at a time that's somewhat in alignment with our generalized bedtime um, and what that could do for us. And then real quick, two other things. We do know there's, there's data on a couple of things as far as travel, One's called the first night effect. And so the first night effect is just almost being prepared that for most people, for, for many people will find that the first night when you are traveling, you might have more difficulty sleeping um, and to not be like flabbergasted when that is the case. And the thinking is it's more hardwired that we'd be a bit more on alert. You're in a new environment. Is it safe? Is it not? You know, all that. And the only uh, asterisk to that is that one asterisk is that there can be a paradoxical response for people that are more um, identified as insomniacs and that transition. So not being in a stressful environment that they've kind of linked up their bedroom as like, you know, a place of upset and not sleeping and poor results, they go into a new space and then they actually sleep better. So that's one call out, (laughs) but for many of us, it's the other side. Yeah. So it gets layered, but to not beat yourself up if it goes a particular way when you are traveling and just aim to get things back on track.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I really love that. And I also love this idea of like the leadership. I know I've been in a lot of such social situations and maybe it's around like-minded people and biohackers that I never want to be the first person to say goodbye at the end of the night. I know, Molly, I've heard you do it. And it's really interesting because you think, I don't want to be that person, but that leader tends to act like a magnet and suddenly everyone's leaving. And it's like, maybe we can challenge ourselves to be the first one, be the leader to leave because- maybe a lot of other people are like, I want to leave, but you know, I don't want to be the first one FOMO. See if you can be that magnet.
2: Yes. A hundred percent. And you know, and genuinely I never would have thought this. I used to skew so late. And I always used to think of all the fun happening at night, but now my life looks so different that my favorite thing, like even on that conference was go with morning walks. You guys know, Sam, we would walk to Airwan and get like coffee Aww. and have the food and the whole thing and the sunlight and just, you know, yeah. it's the, my whole experience of what I like to do has shifted much more to daylight hours, not exclusively, but those are some of my favorite times. So I want to covet those where possible and to still, and sometimes I don't want to villainize because sometimes we, we've talked about social capital and investing in the time with friends and it's sometimes a rarity that would have all of us together. So we want to make sure we're capitalizing on that, but just striking that balance. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. <laughs>
3: You were the opposite of a vampire. You were like, the daylight hours.
2: <laughs> so I, I mean, the daylight hours. I don't want to talk about 180. I used to be the night queen. Oh my yeah. God. So it's just still flabbergasting to me that it looks like that now. So it's, it's why. We yeah. can be queens of the night and the daytime. I think the yeah. challenge
1: is be the life of the party early on and then be the leader to yeah. guide everyone home. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A consistent schedule. Wrap yeah, up totally. <laughs> Exactly. This was a lot of fun. Of course, we had one simple question, small topic, and it took us here. So always so fun to hear what all of you are doing and Dr. J who left us. But oh gosh, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight. And I'll just speak to all of our audiences. If you have any follow-up questions or anything particular that anyone brought up, there's some fun resources a la the new headboard, Renee, that we'll have to share. Thank you, Renee.
2: So good. Yeah, Yeah. Anything else right. you want
1: to chime in about before we wrap up? Thanks for hosting, Lauren. Great That's what great I was going to say.
2: So good. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I just appreciate the this forum that we're kind of creating to have fun, um, you know, going in deeper on what things can look like in, in our own life and learning from each other. It's just really great. So thank you. you're yes. okay, so <laughs> yeah. welcome. Such a pleasure. And I'll just pose a question to everyone listening. Let us know what you want to hear
1: about next. We will be doing more. woo All right.
2: right. Yay. Thank you.
3: Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less. Bye.